ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we have a problem today that we are going to solve with our guest, Mark Silverman. And he has written a book called Only Tens 2.0, and that is a story all to itself. But what it's about is our problem with managing time. And the tagline of the book is, you don't have a time management problem, you have an honesty problem. And this book is all about confronting your to-do list and transforming your life. And this couldn't be better timed, Mark, because I can tell you, uh, the last couple of days, I've been taking a little bit of a break and looking at how unorganized I have become. And, you know, looking at things like how I've got files structured on my desktop and my constant battle with to-do lists. Mm. So, again, could not be better. So, before we get started, Mark, I always like to have my guests share a little bit about their backstory. This is not the resume of where you've worked. This is this is your story as it leads up to why did you have to write this book? Uh, that's a that's a good question. I had to write the book because I have struggled to be a functioning adult my whole entire life. So my backstory is, you know, by the time I was 27, I was homeless, living in my truck, 135 pounds, uh, drug addict, dr- you know, drunk, uh, you know, had no idea about ADD and ADHD way back then and all that. But, it, you know, just all those counters were to zero. And, uh, you know, I rolled into town to borrow some money from my brother because I just had nothing, right? 135 pounds. Uh, and, you know, six, eight years later, I was a millionaire, married two kids, you know, and I joke, I'm a ba- basically a short Jewish Tony Robbins, right? So when I, when, I came to, when I came to success, I came to success later. And I also had a very different viewpoint of it. One of the things, one of the reasons I became successful was because I pushed myself because I was so embarrassed for having been such a failure in life. So that drive, that unhealthy drive to prove myself, uh, one, it was great because it, put, it had me put myself in situations I wouldn't have and that I was scared to be in, but I really wanted to make it. And I had kids and I had a wife and I wanted to be successful. The success shocked me. Uh, so what happened was, again, for me, the drives and motivations that get you to success often turn on you later on in life. When I became successful, I was all, you know, and living in the big house and driving the sports car, uh, it all fell apart. Like that motivation wasn't sustainable. So I wound up getting divorced. I wound up getting sick. I wound up uh, not being able to sell. Like my, my, my career was in the toilet and I didn't know what to do. Building myself back, learning a whole new way of living, uh, of being successful, uh, and being more successful than I was before, after all that, is how this book came into being. Because, uh, I, again, I, I was diagnosed with ADD in my 40s when we were getting my son diagnosed, right? And the doctor pointed to me uh, and said, you know, dad's off the charts. I don't even know how he functions. And it's like, and, you know, <laughs> you and I were just talking about how, you know, you're li- you know, if you're a serial entrepreneur, I bet you have a little bit of that in you also. You're a creative genius. You can, 
juggle a whole bunch of balls. You can talk yourself into and out of situations, right? You can create companies and do and relationships. Oh, yeah. But when it comes to my desktop and trying to find that document, not so easy. So what <laughs> happened was I wrote this book for myself. Uh, and I thought I would sell a copy to my mother and a copy to me. I wrote the book and 1500 copies went out the first day, the second day, the third day I started, I was, you know, and I wound up selling, you know, and again with ADD, the book went, the first, the reason is 2.0, the first version of the book went out with typos and grammatical errors and all this stuff. Cause I had no idea I needed a copy editor. There's 50,000 copies of a book that is just so embarrassing, but people were giving it to CEOs. They were giving it to executives because something that I did with, with working with my brain and my ADD ways resonated. And so, so now it's a book that's used in executive suites. I, I travel the country doing my mastering overwhelm workshop to the executive suites and to leaders, you know, all around now internationally uh, from this silly epiphany with ADD, which is we lie to ourselves and we lie to everybody else about what we're going to do, what we're willing to do, what we're capable of doing, what we want to do. And that is the, that is the crux of procrastination and all kinds of other things. Uh, Once I got honest, I started getting things done and I started getting the things done that I really cared about. And that changed everything. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. And and I told you that, that I've been taking a look at this last couple of days and it's the worst possible time to do that for me because I, uh, I think I mentioned to you uh, before we started, I'm a tech CEO by trade. And, and that is where I should be spending my time. But I'm also a bootstrapped entrepreneur, which means I take on consulting projects so that I can fund my company myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so right now I've got four consulting clients and more work than uh, I have had in a very long time, deadlines for each of those things. And my core business is also beginning to come back. Uh, we... Uh, build a piece of technology that actually is for travel and events. And as you probably know, the last two years have been pretty miserable for that. So I've had two years of, of that kind of being parked. Well, now it's taking off. So I am at my busiest. But again, I do know that there's wisdom in pausing even at your busiest to get this stuff under control. So like I said, the timing of this interview is absolutely a godsend for me. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the title. And uh, for those uh, who are not watching a a video of this, uh, I won't share this, but I'll have uh, Mark uh, describe this for us. So the the first book was called Only Tens. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to see this up close and personal to see what the red instrument on the cover was. It was a, it was a, it's a, it's a, dry erase marker. Okay. And it it says using distraction to cut or to get the right things done. Right. So that was the, that was the publisher's idea was to use my ADD as, and this was, you know, this book went to number one on Amazon in ADD, right. Uh, in, and in pathology, like I had the, I have the badge of being number one in pathologies on, on, uh, Amazon. But what it was, was I learned to write down my tens, the things that were a hell, uh, Derek, Derek Sivers, another, another author coined the phrase, hell yes, or hell no. 
So I, I, when I was confronted with this, I realized that I had a lot of six and sevens on my list, which were drowning things out again with ADHD, everything screams at the same volume on my list. I can't separate things into big rocks and little rocks and things that might be done and all that kind of stuff. I just look at it and get overwhelmed. So what I was doing was for the first several weeks was I would only do what I wanted to do or what had to be done, right? What I wanted to do or what I had to be done. And that's it. That was the only thing that went on my whiteboard. So I put on my whiteboard, the three things that needed to be done that day, or maybe I was felt inspired to create a worksheet or write a blog or do something. So I followed that energy. And what I found was my procrastination started to change when I only did the tens on the list and I threw out the sixes and sevens. And now the real hard one was throwing out the nines, right? Nines present themselves as a, like, I really should do this. This is such a great idea. I'll make money. I really like these people. I really want to work with them. You know, I really want to show up for the PTA or whatever it is. Uh, Nines were really killers because I never got them done. I was always making excuses. They weren't a hell yes. They were a, I really liked it to be a yes. And when I started being able to be honest with myself, I started to be able to uh, get the things done that were important to me. I actually was able to pay attention to my own agenda, which was a whole new thing with all, you know, the whole people pleasing thing. You know, I was, I was the guy who was all things to all people. Why? Because I'm smart, I'm energetic, and I can be until I couldn't be, right? So, so that was, that was, that was the piece was really figuring out what was a hell yes and a hell no and sticking to it. So that's why it's called under tense. That that's amazing. And, and I can see, uh, mirrored in what you have just described my own behavior. So it, I can see why this would resonate with so many people. So let's, let's dive in. Uh, so quite obviously you wrote this book for pretty much everybody, right? I mean, I know that that's a bad marketing ploy, but uh, I don't, well, except for maybe the list mongers, like who really do a good job of managing their lists and they know what big rocks and little rocks are. And, you know, and they actually have done the prioritization to know what's a nine. I'm, I'm not even sure I know that because I just have this enormous list, mostly that is managed in my head. And I'm really good at that. Uh, but I am a think it and do it person. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'll give you a great example, Mark. On Monday, I was on a mastermind uh, call with a group of people, maybe 15 people. And the guy who runs it said, we're going to do a little exercise called On Purpose. And happened to be a guy that I had actually interviewed on my radio show 15 years ago, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, who had built this. And I had been getting emails from Kevin and it was like, oh, I really ought to look at that. But I kept, you know, it it falls in the delete, delete, delete emails, right? Just because I don't have time for all that stuff I would love to do. It just actually does get deleted. Um, But anyway, so he said, we're going to do this exercise. It'll take less than five minutes. Download this on your phone. And it's coming up with a two word purpose, right? And I already had my two words, right? Like the minute he said it, I knew what my two words were. And so then when I went into the the application uh, and started doing this process, none of my words were there. And I was actually a little missed at that, right? But I got to the end and the, the purpose was so clear 
for me. And uh, it happened to be the two words of liberating greatness in others. And I could relate that to my family, my business, you know, I mean, just every line in my business. And so by the time the call was over, I had redone my homepage and my website. I had updated my LinkedIn profile. I mean, all this is while I'm still listening to everything else, of course. Um, but that's how my brain operates, right? So not everybody's like that, thank God, because it would be exhausting. We, we are an exhausting type of person, right? <laughs> uh, so let's, let's talk about uh, what you learned, because as we discussed before we uh, launched into the recorded part of the show, quite often authors write books for themselves. And when we sit down and we read them, we, we have epiphanies. So tell me about your epiphany after you read your book cover to cover. The two epiphanies I had before writing the book was I do what I want to do and I don't do what I don't want to do. And only always, uh, you know, like for me, it was like, oh, I, I, you know, if there's a new iPhone, I somehow find the time in my day to be in line at the Apple store to get my iPhone, right? So I do what I want to do. I don't do what I don't want to do. The second piece was, uh, you know, that in order to be conscious about my to-do list in order to be on purpose about what I do with my life, my time and attention, right? My, which is my life. Uh, I need to have certain tools. And I didn't realize that in order to take something off of my to-do list, I might have to have a difficult conversation. So someone asked me to do something. I didn't automatic. Yes. I didn't set a boundary. I didn't, you're right. I didn't give them parameters of the time frame, right? I didn't create some sort of agreement around it. Uh, I wasn't able to say no to things. So there was a bunch of things on my list that just weren't even mine that I couldn't say no to. In fact, I was even worse than that. I was the first one to put his hand up because why I want to be liked. So I started to see that there was something behind every item on my to-do list. I either wanted to be liked. I didn't want to disappoint someone. I didn't want to have a fight with someone about not doing it, right? So now I started to see how I operated as a human being. This was the scary thing. And I joke with people that I can look at your to-do list, have a conversation with you about it. And it's like a tarot cards or tea leaves. I can learn how you operate, what you value, what you're afraid of, how you grew up, right? Just by talking to you about your to-do list. And it gets really confrontational. So for me, my to-do list became this spiritual self-inquiry of how I operate in the world. When I started to see that everything on my to-do list was because I wanted the reward of doing it, not the thing. I wanted the reward of the thing, or I wanted to avoid a consequence. Like, you know, I, I don't feel like paying my bills, but I don't want my electric shut off, right? So you know, I started to see all those motivations. That was what I learned. I learned how to be a completely different person. So from by confronting my to-do list, I am now a person that people would say sets boundaries. You know where he stands. He speaks the truth. I've learned how to have sweaty palm conversations about the things, right? Those all from me trying, because I was dedicated to doing what I wanted to do, which was build this coaching practice. Uh, and I, I needed to pay attention to myself. I had two kids, an ex-wife, right? Uh, I have uh, I have current marriage. Like I have all these things that I'm trying to accomplish, but I still at almost 60 years old, you know, want to create this, this new business, right? So I have to be able to take my time and attention and focus it on what I want it to do. 
Wow. Wow. What a story. So how, how did you get to where, because uh, I'm fascinated with this discussion of the tens and the nines, because again, I can see where I'm in that same place. And right now, my tens, if I had to define what makes it to the top of the list, it's what I have made a commitment for and I'm getting paid for. So it's the fastest path to cash that is driving doing consulting at all, because quite frankly, consulting doesn't give me joy. Okay. And joy, you know, which is what, uh, and again, for those of you who are just listening and not seeing, I've got a picture behind me of uh, sunflowers and sunflowers speak joy to me. And it reminds me that I want to experience joy in everything that I do, the people I choose to work with and interview and, uh, you know, just all the way down the line. And consulting is not in that frame, right? <laughs> but to do what I really love, which is to innovate, uh, which uh, you can't see these really well on my uh, wall, but one says failure is not an option, which is the tenacious uh, part of being an entrepreneur. And then the other is not being afraid of anything. And I'm, I'm actually jumping off of a telephone pole and grabbing a trapeze, you know, however number of feet in the air a telephone pole is. And I'm afraid of heights. And so the trapeze thing was terrifying because yes. you have to shift your weight. Like the trapeze didn't look scary to me. It was being on the pole and then grabbing the thing and you have to shift your weight and trust as you go over. That was the thing that made me into a cold sweat when I first did a trapeze. Exactly. And then once you're holding on to the trapeze, it's like, oh, I want to do this again. Right. But it was that but, one piece where you had to let go. Exactly. And, you know, I am driven by innovation, right? I love innovation. So the things that naturally become my tens are, I love product development. So, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a software developer. I, I'm not the coder, but I'm the inventor, right? And so that always becomes a 10. But right now it has to be a nine because I've got to get these paid clients taken care of so that I don't ever have to do it again, right? So that I can raise money and, you know, all the things that are going to come after that. So what is the process that you tell people to go through in coming up with what is a 10 and why should you care, right? And the things that maybe masquerade as a 10, you know, I think you call them false 10s. Right. Um, talk to us about that. So dopamine hits, you know, like, oh, I loved, like for me, I, I can create a worksheet out of nothing. I love creating worksheets, right? I don't need any more worksheets. But when I want to avoid making a sales call, when I want to avoid, you know, doing my taxes, I will make a worksheet. And it looks like I'm working and it's really useful because I can put it out on LinkedIn and people will download my worksheet and right, I'll get an email and that kind of thing. But I, but the 10 was, oh, uh, my accountant had asked for this by this date so that I wouldn't have to pay this penalty, right? So I start to see that my dopamine hits and my, my little zone, of my sometimes my zone of genius is not my 10 right? Because, you know, there's certain things that have to be done, right? So I have to really look honestly at that. The thing for me, the, the, you know, there was a time way back when, where in the same span of uh, several weeks, I had an opportunity to go to Spain with my son. He was playing, he was going to play baseball for 10 days across Spain with against Spanish teams. And it was, you know, real cultural thing. It was really cool. I was going to do that. 
at the exact same time, it was a retreat in Hawaii with uh, one of my mentors that I really wanted to be at. And it was like kind of overlapped, kind of didn't. Then I got invited to be on a reality TV show uh, for coaches in Alaska. I'm like, I want to be on TV. I'm a ham, right? And this is all around the same time. And then there was an event in London where my absolute hero was going to be speaking and he, and I was going to be able to go meet him and have dinner with him and my absolute, absolute hero. And then I started looking and I was in agony. I was dying because I wanted to be in Hawaii. I also wanted to be on the show in Alaska. And I also wanted to go to London, but I also wanted to be with my son. Cause this was a once in a lifetime trip with my high school age son who was playing baseball. Right. And I started what I started hemming and hawing about it. And I was like, you know, I really need to be in Spain with my son. Like I can't, I can't miss being in Spain. So I really, I, and again, it was, it was agony because, you know, Amy, I, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want to do it all. Uh, I was like, all right, the TV show, if I'm supposed to be on the TV show that, you know, the, the times will change and that'll work. So I let go of the retreat. I let go. And then I was like, you know what I can do? I can leave two days early from my son's trip and I can go to London and then I can fly back and meet my son. Right. I, I can do all this. And the person who I was going to meet in London said to me, Mark, when I was growing up, I was the captain of the football team. I won the state championship and there was nobody from my family in the stands. Nobody cared. If you leave your son to come meet me, I will refuse to meet you. <laughs> Wow. You spend that time with your son. And oh my God, like, was that the right decision or not? So thank, you know, like be trying to figure out how to leave, you know, uh, you know, we have, we have a once in a lifetime memory. So for me, it's really parsing out what's important at that moment. And then the, you know, there's a little five-year-old in me who wants to do all kind, all, you know, every different thing. Right. Uh, and there's a little five-year-old in all of us. Uh, and, and really parsing that out to see what is going to be the substantive thing. And it's all about consciousness, right? It's right. all about consciousness. And that's why this whole to-do list thing, it's not a time management thing. It's a self-inquiry thing to learn about yourself. When I reread the book, I was shocked at what a spiritual transformation actually doing the exercises are, is. Hmm. Well, that's... First of all, the, the story really resonates with me. Last week, uh, my son was graduating from Bible college in Colorado, and uh, his father couldn't be there, and, and there wasn't any way to rearrange his schedule, although his boss did tell him at the end, had you told me about this conflict, we would have found a way, right? So there is always a way. And what ended up happening is my flight kept getting delayed. The trip was going to be really short to begin with. I was going to surprise my uh, son and just show up. And he found out about it from his former girlfriend. Well, at the end of the day, my flight was delayed so much. He said, mom, don't come. I'm, you know, I'm taking the third year over and I'm going to go through graduation again, you know, next May, you don't need to be here. Well, I should not have let, and maybe this is in your book as well, letting somebody else manage your priorities. He told me not to come. And I said, well, if I can cancel everything without penalties, then, then I won't come, right? But if I can't, I'll just be there. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Well, he said, no, mom, you know, you don't need to come. Well, 
I found out later he had a fishing trip that was uh, drawing him away from from Colorado when I was going to be there. But here's the thing. The following morning, he calls his father, who was in Las Vegas at the time at a conference. And he said, nobody's here. All of my friends who are graduating have family here. And then then my heart was broken. It's like you were the one who told me not to come. So, uh, you know, this whole thing of really getting at, at what's in your heart. And I know family always has to come first, even, even with my business. Um, but somebody else took control of my, of my priority list that particular day. So is, is there any, and maybe that's part of the fear thing, right? Uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, wanting certain outcomes and maybe being afraid of other outcomes. So mm-hmm. let's talk about fear. Fear. So fear is the insidious thing and it'll mask as anything it'll it'll fear will mask as i don't really want to do that like uh, you get an opportunity to go speak on a stage or something like that and you're like you know i don't really want to do that and it's really fear right and fear works really quickly fear doesn't stay fear you know so that you can look at it and go oh that's fear i'll go past that like on the trapeze like oh that's just fear it it quickly goes to no you're going to fall down on and and you're going to die Fear goes quickly to, I'm not good enough. Fear goes quickly to something else so that it masks it instead of being garden variety fear that our body is responding to something, right? So for me, fear, fear is, you know, fear has been the biggest driving force in my life until I saw that it was just fear. Uh, And that if I could get used to fear being in my body, right? Uh, My, my, uh, you and you and I will remember this. I don't know. Um, Remember Mary Tyler Moore? Yes. So Mary Tyler Moore had a boss named Lou Grant. Lou Grant was a gruff, you know, kind of in your face, scary character. Uh, And, you know, back then, Mary Richards, Mary Tyler Moore was in the workplace and that's a new thing for women to be in. So she was very sweet and she would go into his office and she'd go, Mr. Grant, uh, I have some. And then she, you know, she would run out and then she would come back in and her voice was shaking and she would still say her piece with her voice shaking, looking obsequious. Right. But she'd still say what she needed to say. And that was my role model for having difficult conversations. My voice could crack, I could be nervous, but I was damned if I wasn't gonna get it out of my mouth and say what I needed to say, right? And one of the other things was, you know, uh, from growing up and, you know, certain, certain abuses that happened, like I was terrified of getting things wrong. So, you know, you know sometimes when you're asserting yourself, you'll overstep, right? Uh, and for me, what I learned is, you know, sometimes when you push back, when you, when you, when you, when you have these conversations, you have trained people to treat you a certain way. You have trained people that you will be a certain way in your life. When you start to set boundaries and when you start to have these conversations, there's going to be people who blow up at you. There's going to be people who don't like it, right? When you, when you have an opinion, they're going to have a different opinion of what should be done and how it should, should be done. And to be able to actually stand there and, you know, and not crumble. And I crumbled a lot at first, but to learn to feel fear in my body, to feel the crumble in my body and actually uh, function, speak uh, and act with that in my body was a game changer. 
right? So I didn't have to avoid the terror in my body. I didn't have to avoid the shake in my body. Now, this is this is not just for people pleasers and all that stuff. I, I coach grown ass executives <laughs> who are terrified to set a boundary with their wife or their right. you know, there's or their or there's an employee who triggers them and they don't want to they don't you know like they don't want to um upset the apple cart with this one employee right grown ass people who are worth a hundred million dollars and you'd never think they have fear everybody has somebody in the world that that triggers them right that reminds them and it all goes back to that five-year-old self right so being able to sit with that 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 feeling expands your range it gives you an opportunity because we we slowly you know we slowly make our lives smaller when we give into those fears uh, to avoid you know i don't like making left turns so you start making right turns and you try to start looking at maps on how to take right turns so you don't have to take a left turn uh, and that's how we do over our life. When you, when I tell people to confront their to-do list and then I say, great. So are you going to have a conversation with that, that person who keeps coming in late? Are you going to be, you know, are you going to have that, when are you going to have that conversation by now we can deal with all the fears and all the things that come up. Wow. So you have talked about a couple of things that, uh, you know, kind of make up your, your toolbox, right? The, these difficult conversations and setting boundaries. Uh, what else is in that toolbox? Self-love. That's the thing that we don't talk about. Uh, it's, it's putting yourself on the list, right? Uh, it's, you know, you matter. You're, you know, so you, you get to, you get to, you know, for me, I, I tried to make myself smaller in the world. I didn't want to have knees and elbows because I didn't want the pushback from the world. And I never thought I, you know, for me, I wasn't, I didn't have the self-worth to exist. Uh, a lot of people don't have the self-worth to set boundaries, super, super successful people. So I'll, you know, I, I coach some really high achievers and they get their self-esteem by being super high achievers, right? So being terrified of making a mistake by terrified of being vulnerable, right? So um, it's, it's, that, it's that piece. It's that I get to exist whether I achieve or not. I get to exist whether people like me or not. I get, you know, I get to live my own life. We only have a certain amount of years. I finally figured it out. It's my life. I get to live my life. You know, you know, and yes, I have kids and responsibilities and all that stuff. That doesn't mean I don't get to live my life. I am not a martyr. And that was such an epiphany for me. Mm. Well, I, I think the other thing that, that you've described is, you know, that this is a journey and journeys by their very nature have to have direction. Right. And you use uh, some of the analogies about directions and journeys, you know, finding your inner compass, finding your north, um, you know, which it sounds like that's also a, a part of the toolbox that, that you, you do have to know your purpose. And I, I want to come back to that exercise that I did on, on this phone call with a group of people on Monday. What ended up happening is I had thought that something else was my purpose. I thought that giving back was my purpose. Well, it turns out that giving back, which is a part of my business model for my tech company, it's a part of who I am as an individual and who my husband and I are as a couple, um, that that was actually actually just one of the ways that I help others uh, discover their greatness, right? 
and and that it it really propels other people for me to give. And and so my true north is helping other people find their greatness, right? Mm. And and that once you figure that out, you can use that as the checklist, right? That's your 10 versus a one through nine. Is is it helping me achieve that purpose? Because you're right, this is my life and nobody else has to live it. Um, so I'll let you respond to that before I go on. It's interesting. You, you mentioned the true north part of the book. I forgot about that book. I forgot about that chapter of the true north. It was such a revelation to me when I wrote it, when I did the exercise, I wrote, I did worksheets on it, and then I completely forgot it, never teach it, never talk about it again. My son reads my book uh, and he's, you know, he's, uh, he's in his late teens. Uh, I think it was 19, maybe 20, maybe 20 at the time. And he says, you know, dad, I was reading your book and I figured out what my North star is. Like, what's the, oh, oh yeah, in my book, North Star. Okay, great. He goes, my North Star for for 2020, uh, I think it was 2021. uh, No, maybe 2020. He says, my North Star, dad, is I want to learn who I am. I said, really? I want to spend the year learning who I am. And I figured out I want to learn. Oh, dear. you have frozen. I don't know whether that's me or you. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm plugged in. Uh, okay. So okay. You're you're good now. I'll just mark down 43 minutes and I'll edit that out. But go ahead. Okay, great. So so basically, so just start his response again of how he was going to find his true north. So he want he so he he said I want to find out who I am. I want to learn who I am. That's my north star. So I'm going to do that for the year. And I want to learn it in yeshiva in Israel, learning through Judaism who I am. And uh, I was like, wow. Yeah, I don't know whether that's me or you. No, I think that's me. It's interesting because I'm hardwired, but it, it totally, it's totally me. Uh, okay. So I'll just, go back to just this. Just continue the story. I'm a good editor. So, so anyway, so, so he said, I want to learn it through Judaism and I want to go to yeshiva in Israel. Uh, I said, okay, that's cool. Uh, you know, I, I'm a coach, so we've been working on this anyway. And uh, this was when COVID was hit. So Israel was shut down. So he was dedicated to his North Star. He got a scholarship. He worked the summer. He made the money that he needed to make. Israel opened up for like four days. He got a plane ticket, got in, was in yeshiva, wow. right? And, he, you know, he has ADHD and he was goofball in high school and all this stuff. And so now he's in, he's now finishing his second year. Uh, the, the leaders of the yeshiva have called and said, I've, we've never met a kid who didn't grow up uh, steeped in this, so gifted in learning, uh, you know, the deep mysticism and the deep uh, roots of Judaism. And he's happy. He's joyous. He's free, even though he's kosher and he dresses, you know, like a guy from the 1940s and he's got a long beard and all this stuff. He is so free and joyous and amazing. Um, and for me, that was the North Star. Like he, the one thing he wanted to do was learn who he was. He figured out the avenue and everything else fell into place. Mm. How very cool. Well, I, I want, uh, we've gone probably a little bit longer than, uh, than I normally would, but I am just fascinated by this and, 
you know, I think that the folks who are listening today, uh, there are a couple of other uh, topics that you touch on, uh, such as mastering midlife. I mean, I, I'm not sure that this is midlife or whether I had it, you know, a decade ago, but I'm, I'm certainly at a place where I'm, uh, you know, kind of doing a personal pivot of what's next because uh, I, I have been married for 32 years uh, and we always say mostly glorious years. <laughs> And uh, my husband is 71 and he is still working. And thank God, because that's what allows me to be a serial entrepreneur is being able to continue to invest in in what I'm doing. Uh, but, you know, I'm wanting to get back to a place in my life uh, where I'm contributing again financially. I, I've been doing nothing but, you know, taking money and putting it into my yeah. businesses for the last, uh, gosh, the last 10 years. And so I'm, I'm about at this mid career point where, you know, I want to be a successful, well-funded entrepreneur. That's how I want to describe myself moving forward. So how do you master this midlife piece? You've, you've found your true North, you've mastered your fears. You've, uh, we didn't talk about the weekly and daily practices, but I, I want people to get the book so that they can, you know, learn these different uh, things that you have uh, used in your own life to turn things around. So what's the secret? So, master, so Mastering Midlife is what my podcast was and was the book. But now that I'm turning 60, I'm like, I'm going to leave that to younger folks because I think I'm starting to <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to master later in life. Uh, but uh, for me, it's it started with knowing that I had a choice in life because we I think we're driven by these forces into our 30s and 40s. And at some point, either a death or a marriage breaking up or a career or a health scare, like you talked about your blood, you know, you put that blood pressure cuff on and you were just absolutely blown away by what your blood pressure was. That was a change, right? That gave you an, uh, the impetus to change. So for me, midlife is when, when what was working no longer works. We're terrified to let go of the dock from that side to because we don't have anything to grab on the other side. And that's that no man's land, right? So for me, the to-do list is such a great place to start of what do I want to do, what I don't want to do? What do I like about my life? What don't I like about my life? You don't have to divorce your spouse just because you don't like the way your marriage is. But you can state it and go, I'd like to do something different and then go get yourself a referee or go to a retreat where you can learn to be intimate again. If you don't like your career, you don't have to quit your job, right? You can say, huh, I'd like to start working on pivoting, right? But being honest with ourselves first is the first place to go, right? Start journaling, start meditating, start sitting. You know, I tell, I, I joke, I, I say, you don't have to be in California to meditate. You can take your cup of coffee, you can sit at your <laughs> kitchen table and not pick up your phone and not talk to anybody before everybody gets up. And we can call that meditation. Just contemplate, be by yourself to figure out what right. do I like, what don't I like? What do I want? What don't I want? What is the, what is the status of my life look like? Now, what steps am I willing to take to change it, right? I know what steps we say we want to change, but what are we willing to do? Are we willing to have that conversation with our spouse and say, you know, I noticed that our intimacy isn't there. I love you and I'd really like to see something different. That's terrifying, Right. Definitely, definitely. I went from to-do list to well, sex, so I thought hopefully, hopefully that was a great present. <laughs> well, you you got every spectrum of the audience uh, with that last comment. 
Well, Mark, it has been uh, really amazing. Again, we've been talking to Mark Silverman and the book that we've been talking about is Only Tens 2.0. And, you know, this is a, a must read book. And But more than reading, I think that this is the kind of book and uh, my read or my listeners know this about me. There are books that I will only read with a you know, notebook and a pen in hand or a highlighter or sticky notes, right? Because they are transformational. And, you know, this is meant to be a transformational book. And just listening to you today has already got me thinking about how I need to approach things differently. And, and to me, if you have accomplished that, even with one person, you know, this book has been a success, whether uh, whether it produces millions and millions of sales uh, or not. But uh, again, I really encourage our listeners to go in and get this book immediately. It's available through all the normal channels. Mark, what if they want to follow you or get in touch with you? What is the one way that they can get in touch with you? Great. It's easy to find me on social media, but it's, it's markjsilverman.com. Uh, mark the letter J silverman.com. And by the way, when you, when you go there, there's a red banner where you can actually sign up every month. I do a free workshop on the only tens basics. Uh, you know, and I walk, I have people take out their to-do list and I work through it. So just click on that, but it's markjsilverman.com. Very cool. Well, Mark, it has been an absolute delight. Thank you for sharing your Friday with me. And, uh, if there's one thing you want to leave with everyone, what would it be? Uh, Take, take a moment to sit and contemplate your life. Just sit and really, you know, don't be scared. You don't have to make any changes. You don't have to do anything, but it's really cool. Be cool to be honest with yourself to see what you want. Okay. I love it. Well, have a great rest of the day. And thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you, Chickie. Perfect. Good enough. All right. Yeah. Oh. No, better than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait to get the book. And uh, You want to shoot we'll, me your address? I'll send you a signed copy. Yes, I will do that. All right, cool. Um, I... Uh, Right now, do not have a producer. So I am producer in addition to all of the other many things I'm doing. So uh, I'm a couple of weeks behind in, in getting my shows. It's expensive. It's expensive. Uh, I have a producer. It, 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 you know, it costs me 1200 bucks a month to, you know, get, have my podcast, uh, you know, up and, and going. So I get it. It's a, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I used to have one. I don't have one right now, uh, but one of my goals in life is to be able to have that, uh, my websites and all of that just managed by somebody else instead of doing it myself. So I have to make that a priority. Thank you. Hey, do you, do you throw the video in a Dropbox? Um, the, yeah, the video? I do. And I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email that has the embed code. Sure. Um, if I, if I and... could download the video, that would be really lovely. If yes, to share I will that. do that as soon as I get the editing done. Uh, I will do that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This was really Okay. Well, it was great fun. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas, inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald.